Welcome back to Clydesdale Media, where we bring you the best from the world of CrossFit. Podcasts, news, special interest, health, fitness. If you like what you hear, hit that subscribe button. Hit the notifier so you're the first to know when we have new episodes. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Evening, everyone. Welcome to the Clydesdale Media Podcast Music Edition. Uh, I have with me special guest, uh, John Woolley. For those who don't know who that is, Make Wads Great Again, uh, Kettlebells and Cocktails, Scale and Bail, uh, Affiliate Owner, um, Bank Executive, uh, and just Resident Bald Man at all CrossFit events. There you go. There you go. There you go. Yeah, I think you got it all, especially the resident bald man. I like that part. I'm going to put that on a shirt. It's going to be perfect. <laughs> and if you don't know, John actually is a guitar player. Um, he, uh, you, Your education in college was music, correct? Yeah, well, I tried to. My dad was foolish and said he'd pay for it. And uh, I, to, to this day, I, I'm still trying to, as a dad myself, I'm trying to wrap my brain around him willing to write checks for thousands of dollars for me to move to Nashville and study guitar. But that was what I wanted to do. I'm like, yeah, I can make a living at that. Okay. And uh, moved to Nashville and gave it a shot. So of all those guitars behind you, which ones do you play the most? Oh, that's a good question. Let's see which way I can turn here. So uh, that one right over my shoulder is a Gibson uh, 335. I got that from the Gibson uh, uh, mod shop and demo shop, actually. It had different pickups in it. I changed the pickups. It had a gorgeous top and back. It's figured and just absolutely spectacularly beautiful. Uh, and then under it, probably... Two over is probably the one I play the most, which is a, a PRS CE hollow body. Next to it is a Nash uh, Telly with Lawler humbuckers. There's a Gibson SG. I play these all about the same amount. There's a Gibson SG next to it that I got from the mod shop that's really cool. Uh, a Dusenberg um, hollow body, which is next to that. And uh, on the far end is a um, Gibson Les Paul gold top with P90s. Um, I, I've spent way too much money in these guitars. There's actually more in the room. Probably the one I play the most though was over my shoulder. Uh, the silver one, I built that one actually. Um, I took a, a, um, uh, what they call a road worn guitar from by Fender, which is just, it's just a Mexican brand. They had these awesome sounding pickups in it. Like they just sounded amazing. And so I sanded it. I hated the way it looked and I just sanded it down completely. And I uh, kept the pickups, but I put new electronics and ripped electronics out, put new electronics in it and uh, kept the neck and painted it silver and put a racing stripe on it. And it's kind of relic and looks beat up, but it, it's like, it's like having an old pair of jeans, you know, like you have something that just like fits, like you just like are connected to it. That's what it's like. I don't know what it is about the guitar. It's the cheapest one in the room, probably, you know, when it really comes to what it's worth, but man, I just love that thing. It's great. Yeah, to compete, I put my, I actually have two guitars. I sold a couple of my guitars uh, when I got into podcasting and wasn't playing as much. But I have an Ibanez RG model right there. Uh, that's, I was in a Cetriani phase right? Uh, when, when I bought that one. It's black on black with shark tooth inlays. Can't, can't go wrong with Cetriani. 
And then um, I actually have a cheap, cheap knockoff Flying V uh, over there in that corner, um, just sitting there. But I, I hardly ever play. It's so hard to like rest on your lap because yeah, of the I... shape of the V um, that I never, ever play it. Um, well, that's that's what, the one. This is the one I whatever that one is. That's the one what's I play kept me from time. getting a flying V. They're so hard to play on your lap. Like they slide around and they they just fit weird. I have a I have a couple more guitars over on the other wall that you can't see. Um, and one is a it's a brand called Harmony, which is a U.S. made guitar. They're made in Michigan, I think. And it's um it's kind of like um like a Jaguar shape or. Uh, a jazz master but it has a weird body shape and and it's top heavy same thing you have to like rest it on the opposite leg to hold it and it's a great sounding guitar but it's so annoying <laughs> to hold i'm like i can't decide if i want to keep it or not you know it's like i don't know you get weird about guitars you just fall in love is there a brand you love is ibanez your like your go-to yeah, that's player? i love the way the strings lay on the fret um it's really easy to play yeah. it's pretty lightweight compared to like a Gibson Les Paul or something like that. Oh, yeah. So it's, it's so easy to take around, carry around, play. Um, yeah, that's, and so I pretty much sold everything but that and the flying V. And yeah. now I wish I had my acoustic back. I'm weird that way about guitars. Like I have the two that I love the most this PRS behind me and the silver one up on the wall, both have um, seven and a quarter inch radius necks and they're really easy to play, really easy to bend. They're light. Um, they just feel really comfortable to me. All these Gibsons weigh like a thousand pounds and they have big chunky necks and they just feel different, you know, but I can't seem to get rid of them because they're iconic. And that's the problem. Right. That's what sucks about guitars. You have so many guitar heroes that play those guitars. You're like, Oh, but I have to have this one, you know, and you don't want to get rid of them even though you don't really love it, you know? So I'm, I'm trying to come to grips with that and decide if I'm going to hold on to all of these or sell some and, you know, thin the herd a little. Yeah, so we have one question from Seema. Uh, was he in a band? Did he have long hair? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I had a righteous mullet. I probably have a photo somewhere. I should pull it out. It was great. Now it would be a skullet if uh, if I tried to grow it out. So we can't <laughs> grow hair up top. Um, yeah, I was actually, I was, in a, I was in a couple of bands. When I went to college, um, the first two years I was there, I, <laughs> I played in a country western band because I got a scholarship to do so. They put, paid for all my room and board. And keep in mind, this is the late eighties, early nineties, hair metal was all the rage. And I hated it. Like country Western then is not what country is now. It was like true country Western, you know, so we're playing bluegrass and Hank jr. And it was terrible. I hated it. Um, and then I was also in, um, this is really obscure. I was, I was in a Christian rock band and we played all over the state. Like we would, my parents are insane. They bought me a car at 16 and I would drive like eight hours down to the coast of Mississippi to play these gigs, you know, and we played hundreds of kids, you know, we play these, you know, moderately big shows and we built a pretty good following there for a while. And, uh, I did that for a couple summers, you know, just tour around and, you know, I guess that's what gave me the wild urge to move to Nashville and, and, uh, try to be a professional musician, or at least, you know, want to be is some, something really addictive about playing in front of people. You know, getting that immediate feedback and, you know, someone telling you they like what you did. It's, it's like a drug, man. It's crazy. Yeah. I was, I was in a band briefly in the late eighties, uh, here in Columbus, Ohio. I had come to Ohio state university on a swimming 
deal and I retired and had nothing to do. So I became the lead singer of a band and played rhythm guitar. Nice. And uh, had a blast. And, and it was the hair metal days. Uh, we did a lot of hair metal covers um, as well as some other stuff. Uh, Cause I like to sing the other stuff better. Um, not that I have anything against hair metal, but it wasn't my shtick at the time. Oh, hair metal was fun, dude. That was a fun era. You know, like when you really look back and like, look at the videos and you know, some of those bands, it was just like really fun. And you go into grunge that was immediately following and that was dark and dirty. That's the name and sad, and, you know, uh, a lot of angst and uh, you know, not as fun and also not as many, uh, you know, guitar heroes came out of that era for some reason, you know, it was just, a, I mean, a few did, but you know, not as many as did like kind of during that hair metal and earlier stage. Yeah. So, uh, let's get back into it or let's get into it. Uh, we're going to count down, um, from five to one when we're done with one, we'll mention our honorable mentions when we're done here tonight, uh, I will make a Spotify playlist uh, on my Spotify account, the, it is it is just under my name Scott Schweitzer, uh, so you can go look for it there. I'll put a link in the in the description here on YouTube and as well as all the po- the podcast platforms. But the only thing I'm going to ask John, and we're doing this on the air, but if there is a particular like instrumental that you like of that guitarist, if you could shoot that to me, sure, um, I'll find that to put up with them because. Most of these people, there's there's an iconic something about them that made me pick them. Um, and we'll start with you as you are my guest with number five. Oh, see, I didn't really put them in an order. Like as I was trying to pick guitar player, <laughs> like I, I picked people that I, I thought were influential, um, did something different that had not come before them or really even at, like, you know, people stole from them moving forward. Um, I'll probably put, oh man, this is tough. I'm gonna put Steve Vai at number five, which in full disclosure, I'm not a monster Steve Vai fan, but like when I was looking over the list of all the guitars I had written down and I had about, you know, 10 to 12 written down, you know, he's the one guy I said that, man, not only, uh, did he, he take a genre and reinvent what people thought guitar could do, but he's still doing it. Like this guy has been, I mean, you know, he started in that hair metal era, you know, came out during the movie Crossroads and then David Lee Roth and did that whole hair metal thing and had his own band. Um, and, you know, he's done a hundred instrumental albums, but even now like is continuing to reinvent what people think guitar can do. Like he just, his brain works different. It's, it's really insane the way he looks and thinks about guitar. And I just, I couldn't, I couldn't leave him out of my top five because I think he took from kind of all the other masters and then up to their game. And that's, you know, incredibly hard to do. Yeah. My biggest memory of Steve, I is the movie crossroads. Um, I love that movie. And then so good. number probably number one on my wish list for my vinyl collection is eat and smile. Yeah. Uh, the band that David Lee Roth put together for that first well, that the first album after the breakup of Van Halen um, was second to none. That album is freaking incredible. So, so for your playlist, I want uh, Yankee Rose on there, but I want the Spanish version. It's so okay. good. 
It's, it's, it's hysterical listening to David Lee Ross sing in Spanish. This is what makes it great. And the guitar playing is spectacular. Yeah. And I, my favorite song on that album is Tobacco Road. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the, it was interesting. You know, that's when David Lee Roth obviously had just left Van Halen. Everybody's like, oh, he's never going to, you know, Van Halen's the whole band or Eddie Van Halen's the whole band. He'll never be able to step out from under his shadows. And that's a, a fair statement to make because I think most people would argue David Lee Roth's not a great singer. He's just kind of a showman. But he was smart enough to get David Lee Roth, who all of a sudden you're like, holy crap, who is this guy? Like, how can he be as good as Eddie Van Halen? And he really, and you know, and what was impressive about him to me is he wasn't doing what Eddie was doing. He had an entirely different style and entirely different sound. You know, he did some of the tap on stuff, but it still wasn't the same. Like Eddie does like a real classical arpeggio. Like I think of classical piano players and that's what Eddie sounds like. Uh, Steve, I does something completely different. It's almost like uh, it's like a voice, you know, it's like he's singing you know, and he hears something and you can hear it in that. And he does some of those uh, call and response with David, you know, David will go, he'll say something and he'll play back and it'll make it sound like the guitar is talking, you know, it's, it's oh, yeah. really, really unreal. Well, gosh, I think I'm going to, I talked myself out of my number five. I'm going to switch it up already. Um, and I'm going to go number five with Dwayne Allman. Oh, great, great choice. And I spent, I spent four years in Tallahassee, Florida, and you cannot live in the South without, because Tallahassee is pretty much Georgia. Like you are 10 minutes from the Georgia line and you, you can't listen. You can't live there without knowing Southern rock and like Melissa and the whipping post. And then in my research for this show, I learned that he plays on the outro for Layla with Eric Clapton. And to me, that is one of the most iconic guitar endings ever. And so that actually elevated him up my, my list. And uh, I'm going with Dwayne Allman, number five. Please put Jessica on your playlist. That's one of the greatest okay. Allman Brothers songs. It is. Of all, like such a great, iconic guitar sound uh melody like everything about it is just brilliant and uh every time i hear it you know you've got two guitars playing at the same time you know uh one playing harmony to the other and i just can't wrap my brain around that like i don't my brain doesn't work fast enough to play with someone <laughs> else like i just can't even consider it and uh it's just it's really unreal and then when you think of the guitarist that came out of the band like Derek trucks is an example i don't have him on my list uh but he Dickie probably Benz. should be like he's, you know, probably should be on the list of someone who's just spectacular that played with the Allman Brothers. It's like, man, like I can't even imagine the the talent in that room at any given time. You know? Yeah, I, I got to see Dickie Betts live. And by himself, he was like, I was awestruck. You know, he was kind of hidden in the band with everybody else, but he was playing some of their classic tunes on his own, which was unreal. Well, that's and always the fun thing when you see a band that's so good and there's one like Dickie Betts is a great example of someone, um, you know, I think of the Eagles as another example of a band that had multiple musicians that were spectacular, you know, and you've got one guy that on any other stage would be the best musician in the room. But on that stage, they're just, this is the number three guy, you know, it's, uh, yeah. 
it's crazy. You think getting bands like that together. All right, let's go to number four. Number four. Oh, well, you can't have a guitar list without Hendrix. I mean, you just can't do it. You know, I mean, Jimmy, come on. Um, what can you say about Jimi Hendrix, man? Like, who hasn't he influenced at some point or another? And even now, like, I, you know, I didn't get into him when I was learning guitar. It, he wasn't a thing for me. Like, I was hair metal. I was dumb. I was just a dumb kid with a mullet trying to learn Bon Jovi songs. I didn't give a shit about Hendrix. And uh, <laughs> But now I listen back to it, and he's a blues player, like a real blues player. You could tell. Like, that's where he learned just the dirty blues. And, um, but what he was doing at the time was so incredibly different, uh, and inventive. And then, you know, you, and so you just take that piece alone and say, all right, well, just as a player, he's great. And then you take the gravitas that he came, you know, this is the guy that when the Beatles released, uh, Sergeant Pepper, they were in the audience for his stage and he opens the show with one of their songs, you know, with Sergeant Pepper, like this guy is just fearless, you know, and that's, as a guitar player, that's hard to do. Like, you know, I think we're all kind of wired with insecurities. That's why you want to be a guitar player. You want to be a guitar guy. You want people to worship you, you know, and this guy just, I don't know. He just had it, you know, and you think of all the amazing songs he left behind that people have covered over the years. I mean, it'd be easy to say purple haze being one of them, but um, you know, there's just a, a list of songs that people have, you know, not only covered, but just can't, replicate what he did and then you know you throw in the obvious fact he did it all left-handed on a guitar not built for a left-handed guitar player you know just uh which is also by the way uh why i was able to get that sound and nobody could figure it out you know guitars aren't built that way like you flip it upside down the pickups aren't designed for the strings to be in that order so he's got it upside down and everybody's like why can't we get the sound you know that's why he's got the guitar upside down it's just it's brilliant in in every single way and uh, you just can't have a list without him. He's the man. Yeah. For me, like, I mi- I missed it. I missed the whole Hendrix thing. All I knew was Purple Haze. It was so psychedelic for me when I was a kid. I was like, I just don't get it. And it wasn't until way into college, maybe even later, that I heard, like, Foxy Lady and all along the Watchtower right. and all of that, where then I was like, okay, now I get what the fuss is about. But I had missed that boat for a very long time. Well, you go through the list of songs, like I'm looking up the songs now, All on the Watchtower, Purple Haze, Voodoo Child, Hey Joe, Little Wing. Oh, my God. Like, if you said, John, you got to pick one song that you got to stick with forever, that's going to be on the list. Like, absolutely. Uh, Foxy Lady, Crosstown Traffic, Fire, Wind Cries Mary, Red House. <laughs> I mean, and then, you know, and he died at 27. That's what's really crazy about it. like you go through all the songs go, oh, my God, like all of these songs are ridiculous. And he died so young. Imagine what he would have done had he lived to, you know, 50 or 70 or, you know, this guy could still be alive today. Potentially, you know, yeah. it's uh, and that's the tragic part of Hendrix is that, you know, it's it's kind of like um, you think of Cobain as an example you know, if someone you like the big what if like had they lived, what would they have done? And it just breaks your heart because the guy released a ridiculous amount of incredible music in, you know, roughly three or four years. And, you know, give him another decade. There's probably nobody going to touch him. It's just unreal. Yeah, I totally agree. So my number four is also 
because of the bluesy sound that he creates. If you're a child of the 80s, you probably aren't familiar with the bluesy part of what he did because he was a little bit different in the 80s than he was in the 70s. And that is Billy Gibbons from ZZ Top. Oh, look at you. Gib, that's a good choice. ZZ Top's badass. 70s ZZ Top is unquestionably my favorite era of their life. I like the 80s stuff, but LaGrange and Tush and Head in Mississippi and very bluesy um, stuff. And for a three-piece band to put out the sound that they did blew me away. Yeah. And um, their stuff's interesting. Like I try to play ZZ Top. They're easy to, it's like kind of easy to learn, damn near impossible to replicate. If that makes sense. Like it's not, it's not overly complicated music, but man, they've got that sound. Perfect. And it's hard. It's hard to steal that man. Like, yeah, they're, that's a good band and so many hits and you're right. Like they were different in the seventies and the eighties, eighties. Um, they were a little bit of, um, I hate to say they were a novelty, but you know, the beards and the cars and, you know, MTV was in its prime. So they're putting beards on the guitars themselves, you know, it's just, it was kind of goofy, but. One of the funniest things I ever saw actually was Slash and Conan O'Brien back when Conan was like really, really funny. And he took Slash guitar or guitar shopping at garage sales. And they went to this house of this major hoarder and they um, were looking for an amp. And the guy was selling one of those like pocket amps that you hook onto right. your belt. And Kona goes, can we, can we try it out? And Slash plugs in his Gibson Les Paul into this little mini thing. And he starts playing. Um, bum, 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 and uh, Kona goes, into the camera and it just cracked me up here. They are in this hoarder's house. The guy doesn't even have a shirt on and, uh, and it was just the best, but I love that song. Yeah. That's amazing. You know, Conan plays guitar. He's not very good, but he plays. Yeah. Yeah. That I would put myself in that category as well. Well, I'd put myself in that category, particularly if you got to play with slash. I mean, slash isn't in my top five. He's he's, he made my overall list, but I wasn't going to put him in the top five. Uh, but I can't even imagine like having to play guitar in front of someone like Slash. I'd be like, no, I'm good. Yeah. My hands hurt. I hurt my hand doing pull-ups today. Sorry, can't do it. Mm. Cannot do it. That was a question I was going to ha- ask you. When I first started CrossFit, I couldn't play guitar as much because my hands were so sore. And I was always ripping open. And it hurt to play guitar. I haven't had that problem. Um, I, well, you're, much, you're a much better guitar player and CrossFitter than I. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't go that far. I just, I've never really had that problem. I think, you know, early on when I started, I probably wasn't playing as much as I was now that acoustic that's behind me was the only guitar I had at the time. And so I was playing one guitar. Um, and, um, I was probably alternating between CrossFit and, and playing guitar as like my main hobbies. Like I was newly single. And so I'd go to bars and do open mics and try to meet girls and uh <laughs> wildly unsuccessful at that by the way also wildly unsuccessful at crossfit um but you know where, like, where was the mullet length when you were in doing the open mics <laughs> no 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 i was <laughs> um i was totally bald then 
so the funny thing is when I, when I got divorced, I decided that, you know, I'd, I'd play guitar. I've played guitar since I was 12. And during my marriage, I wasn't playing very much. I had one guitar and an acoustic. It's over here. It's a guitar. My dad had bought me when I was a kid and I was still playing some, but it wasn't like kind of my main thing. And then when I got divorced, I'm like, well, I should, you know, this would be a good hobby when my girls aren't around and give me something to do. And I went and bought that Martin and started playing open mics and realized I could kind of sing and meet people. And I made a whole new friend group, you know, not, not that different than CrossFit. Like when you start doing these open mics, you run into, you know, kind of the same people place over place. You start building friend groups and there's a real community behind it. And it was a lot of fun, you know, and you know, that's why it was how it was similar to CrossFit is there's a lot of support and we'd go see each other and, and, you know, root for each other and request songs and whatever. And, um, and, you know, you do meet new people. And, uh, yeah, so that was like kind of how I, my journey back into guitar was after the divorce. And then in the last few years, I've gone ridiculous and buying all these things, but I've never had the problem of CrossFit getting in the way of like, you know, hurting occasionally, you know, you have a, a scrape or something, but nothing that's seriously impaired it. So all right, let's hit number three. Number three, you cannot do this list without Eric Clapton. Can't do it. Derek and the Dominoes, Cream, uh, the Yardbirds, not to mention just a ridiculous amount of solo material, you know, from, you know, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s. Dude, still playing, overcame drug addiction, and some, you know, and, and is commonly within the guitar world, you know, there was a moment in England where people would literally spray paint on the wall, Clapton as God, you know, like, um, and, uh, you know, what's interesting about him, like people would replace him in bands would become guitar gods. That's how good he was. He would make people after him would be great, you know? Um, but you know, for me, like for him, you know, always a blues player, but he somehow has been able to take not only the blues, but do pop and rock and like sit in with others. And he just has like a very unique feel. And, and what's really unique about him, particularly compared to most guitar players, he's not a gear guy. Like he's like one guitar, one amp, no pedals, or, you know, if he does very few, you know, like if you were in the room with me, you'd see there's like a thousand guitar pedals in this room and three or four amps. This guy, like he gets his tone out of a guitar plug straight in and it's just, it's kind of unreal, you know? And, and when you hear it, you know who it is. That's what's interesting about him. You can listen to the cream albums. You can listen to, um, you know, his solo stuff. And when you hear it, you're like Clapton, you can just tell, you know, just amazing. So I can't, can't have a top five without Clapton in it. Yeah. I, um, first to answer, Nick, I, I quit cocaine a long time ago. I understand why you might need that to do the list, but, <laughs> um, but no, I get it. The song cocaine is a great guitar song. Isn't it? Oh, so good. Um, I had Clapton on my list. I didn't put him in the top five. I, I really beat myself up over this list. I tell you, he was really sitting at the sixth position. I wanted to put him in. I just was trying to be different. I think. Um, and come up with some some people that I like that aren't aren't as known. But I love Eric Clapton. Um, there, I had a phase, probably sometime in college, where that was a lot of what I listened to was just all of Clapton's bands, uh, just a ton of it. 
Oh, Clapton. Uh, the interesting thing about Clapton is everyone has been influenced by him. Like every, every living guitarist at some point has learned cocaine or Layla, you know, and, and those fills that come from it. Like he's just written so many iconic songs and played on so many iconic songs. And, you know, similar to like we were talking about ZZ Top, like being able to mimic Clapton, like to play what he plays isn't incredibly hard to make it sound like Clapton is damn near impossible. There's just something about the way his hand works is just different than everybody else. You know, it's just, it's, um, I don't know. I yeah. I would I, say that's, that's a lot of who I picked are that nobody else sounds like, like when they, you hear their solo, you know, it's them. You don't even have to look yeah. at the radio or whatever to find out who it is, but agreed. So my number three is a bit obscure. Mm. It is. He is actually from a Canadian band. Oh, here we go. Let's get the Canadians in the mix. And his name is Rick Emmett. Rick Emmett. Who is it? What band's he from? He is from the band Triumph. Triumph. Oh man, that is that's old school. Yeah. So uh what the the iconic song that made me me put him on this list is he has an instrumental on the album Thunder Seven called Midsummer's Daydream that is just gorgeous. And then there's another instrumental on there that's very bluesy and it shows his range from, because the one is an acoustic solo, the other is this bluesy kind of hard rock and then and then Triumph, the band itself, was a hard harder rock band. So you had that different kind of thing and he's also the lead singer of Triumph um, for the most part. So singer and guitar player and, uh, triumph was one of probably in my top three bands in high school. How old are you? I am 53. All right. We're the same age there. I was just say, cause this is a little bit before my high school. Like we're basically the same age, but they were, I mean, it was close. Like it was the early eighties. I've just yeah. huge shout out to their, their artwork on their albums. So I'm sitting there looking at their albums going, man, this is so is so eighties. I love it so much. So I was influenced by my swim coach. My swim coach was probably their biggest fan and he would play their music while we were swimming. And then, so I went back and discovered the back catalog and then they did put out a couple albums in the mid eighties, probably not stuff that many people in the States would know, but huge hits in Canada. <laughs> I feel like I feel like I need some photos of swim team Scott. I don't, I don't think I've ever seen them. I don't know if I've missed this somehow, but you've mentioned your swim team twice now. I'm like, damn, I need some swim team Scott photos. Oh, uh, there's there's a lot out there. I'll I'll share my mullet photos if you share the swim team photos. I think that'd be fair. I spot. had a mullet too my senior year. Did you? Mullets were all yeah. the rage in the 80s. Yeah, I I let it. So my thing was I was going to let my hair grow until I made it to States and then I cut it off. So right before it was probably below my shoulders before I cut it. I had that um, in the 80s, I had the mullet and then I went to the like the long in front mullet. That was a terrible look. My parents should have shaved my head. I don't know what the hell they were thinking. (laughs) They were so nice. They just let me get away with it. But that bad it was a bad look and then you go to the long in front short and back like i don't even know how to, it's like the karen cut i had a karen cut at some point oh, 
Now it just occurred to me that's what that there, was. Jesus, that's terrible. Yeah, we need to find a picture of that, and that needs to be a meme. Oh, I've got it somewhere. I have one somewhere. All right, we're on the number two, right? I feel like my we list are. is easy, except for my guy at number one. Uh, number two, Stevie Ray Vaughan. You can't have a list without Stevie Ray. Stevie Ray's influenced so many people. I, I'll give you a Stevie Ray story. I um, I was in college studying music. I was in the music hall when they announced that Stevie Ray had been killed in a helicopter crash. And there was literally a wall full of guitar players sitting on the floor crying. These are, you know, 20 year old young men, myself included, just sitting there, just sobbing over Stevie Ray getting killed. And at the time they thought Clapton had died too. Like nobody, he was on tour with Clapton. And so we thought Clapton was dead. We thought Stevie, you know, we knew Stevie Ray was dead. And I forget who else was on that tour. Maybe Robert Cray, if I remember right. Um, I think that's right. You know, we thought they had all died in the crash, which was, you know, it was horrific enough that Stevie Ray had died, but, you know, we thought Clapton was gone. Um, but, you know, you really look back on Stevie Ray again, it's like a life cut short, but you look at, at what he did in that, that short life and what he, you know, how he changed the way people look at the blues and the way it's played. And he just played with such energy. Like he brought an energy to the guitar that I think very few had ever brought before, you know, and he had what I have a couple of the people like kind of on this list. Like when he would play, if you, especially if you watch his live shows, you could tell whatever was in his head was just going immediately to his fingers. You know what I mean? Like he's just creating. And for me, like that's the difference for him than others. Like it's simply creating on the fly, on the spot, like, like a painter, you know, he's shaping sound. And it's really the, the live shows are really beautiful. His recorded stuff's great. Don't get me wrong. Like, you know, when you go back and listen to pride and joy, Texas flood, tightrope, um, all that stuff's great. But when you watch the live show, particularly like the Austin city limits, um, shows that he did, he's just, he's creating on the fly. And, and he also had a ridiculous band, you know, the band behind him that could seem to just keep up with him. Um, I don't know. Like every time I watch him, I don't understand it. And I think that's what, for me, that's what's most unreal. It's like, I mean, I've been playing, you know, I'm 52. I've been playing for 40 years now. And I feel like I kind of understand the way a guitar works. And I watch him and I'm like, yep, I don't get it at all. I don't, I don't even come close to understanding how he gets the sound, how he makes it happen, how it looks so effortless, you know, just, uh, you know, and then, you know, you can think of the, you know, thousand guitars that came after him that were just influenced by him. Just uh, unreal. Yeah, I'm I'm a huge fan of Stevie. I I don't know why I do this, but I put him and Dwayne Allman in the same kind of box. Yeah, even though I, see that. I wouldn't say they play the exact same style of music. And that's why I went with Dwayne uh, just because I, I personally, I like their music better than Stevie's music right. when it it. Not that I don't respect what Stevie was able to do. And I still listen to a lot of Stevie. I, I had probably all of his albums um, at one point in my life. So, yeah, huge fan. I think that the beauty of music, though, is that it's not an insult to say you have, you know, Dwayne Allman over Stevie Ray Vaughan. It doesn't mean you don't like Stevie Ray Vaughan. It's just you prefer Dwayne Allman. Or there's just something about it that you connect to different, you know, so... That's where I always get annoyed at guitar players. Like, how dare you not have so-and-so in your top five? It's like, 
you know, all right. Like, you know, as an example, I don't have Eddie Van Halen in my top five. I worship that dude. Worship him. Love him. Like I could, I could talk about Eddie Van Halen for hours, you know, um, but this, you know, like if you're sitting here and forced to rank, it's not an insult to say that you think he's, you like this guy better. You know, they're, they're both, uh, they're both aliens compared to you and I, Yeah. You know? Yep. So my number two, most people don't think of as a guitarist. And what I will say is my one and two were definitive. These are definitely my top two favorite guitarists of all time. My number two is Prince. Yes. Yes, bitch. Bring it. Let's go. Let's talk. Frank. And what, what put it over the top for me is he was at the rock and roll hall of fame induction ceremony. And he played while my guitar gently weeps the guitar solo part. I, I watch that once a month on YouTube. And if you have never seen it, you have to see it. And when this guy takes the stage to play that part, watching all the other hall of famers in awe of this little five foot, nothing dude commanding the stage with that guitar. And he collapses into the audience. They catch him. They push him back up on stage and he keeps playing. It just is captivating. Then you add the Super Bowl performance in the rain, playing purple rain, lights out, I might add, is insane. And his early albums, he played every instrument on every song. Yep. He, he has like, more songs in his vault unreleased than most artists will ever release in their life. It's the dude's like, um, again, an alien compared to the rest of us. Like, uh, right. he played that little Telecaster, you know, little, little telly. And just, he made it sound like, which are traditionally like kind of a thin sounding guitar. They don't have humbuckers for those who don't play guitar. Single coils are kind of noisy and they're very thin sounding. They're like Stratocaster, same thing. And blues players normally play them. Um, and country players play Telecasters. That's why that thin sound is so Good. Prince had a way of making this thing sound like it was the hugest guitar on the planet. And similar to what I was mentioning about Stevie Ray, it was like whatever was in his head just came out of his hands and you never knew what it was going to be. You had no idea, but you knew when it came out, it was going to be ridiculous. And it always was. He's the man. He, he so was in my show, honorable mention list, whatever that's for. Uh, friend of the show, Elise. Uh, said she knew that Prince would be on my list. Um, yeah, he just, yep. gosh. Alien is the right word for him. Um, his, uh, his death hit me hard. There were two or three people that died young, and uh, he hit me hard because he was so talented. And you can go back to his albums and see it. You know, see him as asking, would he be good without theatrics? His music stands up on its own. But, you know, like. So much. His, his playing, his writing, uh, singing, you know, but it's guitar playing. If we're just sticking to a guitar playing, um, the dude's just got ridiculous chops. And he, and he didn't play much. That was what's interesting about him. He always had other people in the band, like, kind of doing the bulk of the work, you know. He just, like, he didn't choose to be a guitar guy, but had he wanted to, he absolutely could have been. 
Yeah, absolutely could have been. I agree. He could have leaned on that and chose and knew he was good enough at everything else that he didn't have to. Oh yeah, he was uh, he was the man. I, like I said, I had him in the honor mention list. I could easily move him into my top five and not feel bad about it, even a little. Um, I didn't only because he wouldn't view himself as a guitar player. I think he, you know, because he played so many instruments. I think he just viewed himself overall as a musician. But yeah, it really was that iconic moment at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame when every other great guitar player is looking at him like my god right <laughs> yeah, yeah no that's that's a I've, i go back and watch that one from time to time too and the the super bowl when it starts raining i mean come on like when god himself says purple rain's gonna get played let's make it rain you know that come on the guy's blessed like that's all there is to it just unreal right unreal well we're gonna go to number one i've i've listened to your shows and i've listened to you on other shows my guess is i know what number one is but we'll let you reveal it. Look, you can probably you can see it right back there on my wall. You can see I'm a fan. John Mayer. Uh, this guy's a master. He doesn't get enough credit for it. I think from, um, you know, most people view him as the guy that wrote My Body is a Wonderland. And that's fair, you know. And certainly if you go back through some of his albums, um, Born and Raised is a good example. There's a lot of acoustic stuff, you know. But this guy is a guitar player's guitar player. And it and much like Clapton, who, by the way, Clapton himself calls John Mayer a master. Like quite literally, an interview said John Mayer is a master guitar player, one of the best on the planet. And he's got that same skill that we're talking about Prince or Stevie Ray or some of these others that he just he, he thinks differently about the way this instrument is used. And whatever's in his head just comes right out of his fingers. And it's crazy. We, we went and saw him, me and my youngest daughter went to Pittsburgh to see him live. And um, it's hard to, de- hard to describe what his guitar tone sounds like in person, but it's so different than the albums. It's like, uh, it's like this God sound, like it just blows your socks off. It's so incredible. And his band, everyone on the stage is probably the best musician I've ever seen live. And I'm not like just exaggerating. Like you watch him on and go, Oh my, Holy crap. Like all these guys are great. But when he starts playing, everybody else seems average and it's noticeable to the average person. Like my youngest daughter doesn't, you know, she plays a little guitar, but she's not really a musician. And um, even she was like, why is he so much better than everyone else out there? You know, and all these guys are like the best of the best, you know, it's just whatever in his head comes out of his hands. And he can play anything, pop, rock, hard rock, country, you know, acoustic, whatever he wants to play, he can play it. And then somehow in the middle of all that, he's a great singer and a great songwriter, too. It's like it's kind of obnoxious, kind of like Prince that he can do it all, you know. Um, But if you just stick to guitar playing, uh, ridiculously talented. And then he's got this weird skill of understanding what a guitar needs to be great. And has built this kind of relationship with PRS where he's building his own guitars that are as good as any guitar on the planet. Like it's, I don't know. It's, you know, and he's young, he's 40, he's just a baby, you know, (laughs) but you know, it's just, it's kind of unreal to think someone that young is that talented and continue to do this. And, and not only does he do a solo stuff, but then he goes out and just for kicks learns the entire grateful dead set. 
you know, and goes and tours with them just for kicks. Why not? Let me go put on some headphones and learn all Jerry Garcia stuff and go play that. And then he'll just go sit in with somebody else and they'll go sit in with fallout boy and play the solo to beat it by Michael Jackson. Like just whatever he wants to do, he can do it. And when he does it, you're like, Holy shit, that's brilliant. You know? So I, I absolutely, you know, most people say he shouldn't be number one. And I understand that argument. He's abs. I think he should be in anyone's top five though. And I think this is a guy that, you know, uh, people are going to look back at the end of his career and go, yeah, we see it now. He's going to have a body of work that people are really going to recognize as special. So um, Elise says she has a friend that plays guitar and says similar things about John Mayer. Where, where John Mayer took a, a step up for me is I was watching a Sammy Hagar benefit for the troops and he put an all-star band together. And when you do that, you have a bunch of alphas on the stage. John Mayer was the alpha of the alphas. And that means the other alphas have taken a step back. And when that happens, you know that there's greatness in front of you. Yeah. You know, what, what's interesting about him, similar to Clapton, is like when I hear him play, I know it's him. He doesn't do oh, yeah. like this outrageous leads to like, you know, I mentioned, you know, Steve Vai was my number five. When we hear Vai, you know, it's him because it's these wild swells and whammy bars and tapping and speed. Mayer will play one note, literally one. And you'll go, John Mayer, that's him. It's just like, it's a, you know, it's just like Clapton. It's just, it's a touch. And it, you know, I could grab the same guitar, same amp, play the exact same note. It would sound nothing like that. He just has a touch, you know, and, and that comes from years of, you know, these guys sit in a room and they play for 12 hours a day, you know, and, yeah. and that's what it takes. And, and they have something special that the rest of us don't have. His string bending, like he does it all with his fingers to yeah. me. It is just, yeah, through the roof. Um, So I'll get to my number one, because just like you, um, I'm sure most people know who mine is. He sits over my shoulder every show right back there. Uh, and that is Eddie Van Halen. Love that guy. Love that guy. And the reason it's Eddie Van Halen is the first time I heard running with the devil in that opening, I didn't know. I didn't know a guitar could make those sounds. I was like, what the hell is that? And then I just wanted more. And just like the, the other people we've mentioned, the minute Eddie Van Halen starts to play, you know, it's Eddie Van Halen. Yep. That Brown sound that he's made famous over the years, the fingering technique. Um, I actually watched a YouTube video where he was at a college campus teaching why he did what he did and he's very classically trained. Um, but he wanted to be different and he developed this fingering technique. Um, he said that people would use to accent their songs and he wanted to use it to play the melody. And yep. it has made him an icon. As a guy who runs a meme page, Scott, you can't keep talking about fingering techniques and expect me not to make a joke. I'm just going to throw that out. There. <laughs> um, yeah, what's interesting about him is, uh, you know, his sound evolved from the 70s, you know, until when he passed, you know, a year or so ago. 
Um, but he always stayed kind of true to his original roots. You know, like he continued to grow and as you know, the albums changed over the years, but you could always tell it was him always, you know, and he said, you know, similar to what I was saying about mayor, like he said, and he played, you know, his probably his most famous solo ironically was with Michael Jackson on beat it. And the second you hear it, you know, it's him, you know, it couldn't be anyone else. You know, he's just right. uh, talk about someone who inspired hundreds of thousands of guitar players. And what I loved about him is that he was fearless in finding his own sound. Like, you know, I, I don't, I don't think the average person understands what he went through. Like he built all his original guitars. It wasn't like he was just buying them off the shelf. Like he's putting these things together and tweaking every little thing to get the sound exactly the way he wanted it. And he continued to do that his, his whole life. It's just, once he had more money, he was doing it through companies, you know, but in the early days, like he's quite literally drilling a quarter onto his guitar. So the whammy bar would move a certain way, you know, it's just, it's, uh, you know, really creative and you know it's artistic like he's an artist you know and doesn't i don't think he gets enough credit for that so this is the second time that we've done a top five where eddie van halen has been number one the first time was best albums of all time van halen one is my favorite album of all time and that is where i discovered uh eddie van halen and i think we have some frozen I hope it's not me. I still have good readings. So anyway, while uh, we're waiting for John to come back, can you guys hear me in the chat? Hopefully you can. We're going to quickly go... Okay, so John is frozen. All right, cool. Um, so once we finish this, my uh, tribute to Eddie Van Halen, we'll get John back, and he's coming in on a second. And I'm device. back. Now I'm on the original invite. My computer just like randomly uh, just booted. I don't know why. So fortunately, it's, <laughs> a, it's a Mac, so it's really quick to boot. So I apologize. That sucks, dude. Anyway. Eddie Van Halen, you were saying Eddie so, Van Halen, second time, number one on your list. Yeah, uh, I had did a top albums of all time with Phil Mansfield. Van Halen one was my choice for number one album. Now Eddie Van Halen makes top of guitarists. Well deserved, to say the least. I'm I'm excited to uh, hear your honorable mentions though, because you had some uh, interesting names in your top five. Yeah, uh, Wad Zombie, Nick. Uh, he's been to Eddie Van Halen's house before not to hang out. His toilets were clogged. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, Bruce can't wait for the Spotify playlist. Um, and they're just asking Nick if he's a plumber. So my honorable mentions, I'll just hit a couple. If you name them, I'm going to take them off. Okay. Uh, I had Brian May. He's at number one on a lot of people's lists. He's not even on my list, but he's a lot of people's and, number one. And and you may appreciate this. The reason I had Brian May on my honorable mention list is I wanted to learn the song One Vision okay. from Iron Eagle. Yeah. And the spread on that rock chord that he plays is insane. I had to like warm up my fingers so much 
just to come close to playing that song. Well, he, he's a ridiculously great guitar player. And come on, Queen, one of the greatest bands. Like if, if this were a show on top five bands, Queen would likely be, would have been certainly in the discussion for me of whether they'd be top five. I mean, he's, he's correct. So Brian May, uh, Neil Sean, Neil yep. Sean, whoever he's pronouncing it these days. Journey. Uh, from great. Journey. Um, Still playing, Angus by the Young. way. Yeah. Angus yep. Young from ACDC. Mm-hmm. And then I put, well, I put Angus and these two other people in the same box. They're riff masters, but like not really who I consider like sustained guitarists. And that is Angus Young, Jimmy Page, and Keith Richards. Yep. Some of the most fa- famous guitar riffs in the history of music, but you don't hear that iconic solo or things like that. And then I just love Joe Walsh. Oh, Joe Walsh and, is the man. He is the man. And the minute the minute you hear him, you know it's him. Well, that's what I was mentioning earlier. Like Joe Walsh is a great example. You put him in the Eagles where you have five amazing musicians. He's just another musician in the band. <laughs> you put him in any other band on the planet, and he's arguably going to be the best guy in the group. You know, like he's ridiculous. And the last one I had on my list was Tom Morello. Yeah, he's uh, on my so list. he's probably the one. The one person from the 90s that I pulled in, uh, he's just so different than everybody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Thompson said he had to warm up his fingers too, but not for the guitar. <laughs> no comment. Um, yeah, Morello's for me is more of a sound than a player, but I he's on my list in the honorable mention because of that. Like everyone I put in my honorable mention, like made some sort of contribution to music that made it different, made people think differently around the way the guitar was played. And I think that's what Morello brought both with uh, Rage Against the Machine and Audio Slave is that you just had to think differently around what the guitar was doing, particularly in Audio Slave. I know Rage Against the Machine was his, you know, kind of his main gig. When you listen to some of the Audio Slave stuff, I have trouble figuring out what's guitar and what isn't. You know, it's like what he does is so unique and different and the sounds he's getting out of the guitar. It's just, uh, is really crazy and then his rhythm like he might as well be a drummer that's how good his rhythm is like it's just um i try to learn his stuff i can't I, you know i'm just a bald white guy i don't have good rhythm i can't do it i just can't make <laughs> it happen um he's the man for sure yeah he's probably on there more for rage against the machine than audio slave yeah i think he got a little experimental with audio slave like you mentioned uh but the the rage again i and as a singer I hate Rage Against the Machine singer. Like if they had a different singer, they'd probably be one of my favorite bands ever because of the sound that they produced. Right. Um, but I, I love the music behind Rage Against the Machine. Yeah. They're, uh, they're an interesting band to say the least and certainly cutting edge and different. I had um, in my honorable mention, I picked people that I thought, you know, like I said, made a big contribution at BB King. Uh, if you get an entire, portion of the guitar neck named after you so there's a thing called the the bb box and i don't have a guitar in my hand or i'd play it but when you hear bb king play he had you know kind of a riff that he played a lot that he was known for and in guitar circle it's called the bb box and if you're playing it you're like yep that sounds like bb king you particularly hear it in the thrill is gone is you know a song where you hear it a lot um he was one that just he had 
similar to what I mentioned, some of the others, just, it was just something about the way he held the guitar and played it just in his hands. It was nothing to do with the amp. He played a three, three, five, like that one behind my shoulder. I think it may have been a three, three, nine, but um, without the F holes, his was solid body and um, just got a sound that nobody else could get. Uh, I had the edge from U two again, like kind of a cutting edge, uh, no pun intended sound uh particularly with delays and rhythm didn't play a ton of lead um but carried the entire band you know um you know, so like, u2 is my favorite band it hurt me not to put him on the list well he's 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 been one of my favorites for a long time like when you listen to to the band u2 um you know if you just play one of those songs and you know most of them start with guitar and there's a delay like you know it's him you're like oh that's the edge like there it is. You know, um, I had slash on my list of honorable mention. I would, he would, didn't come close to my top five. I only had him in the honorable mention because he, uh, is a guitar player's guitar player. Like, um, he, he's like, we are on the show. He could come on the show and talk about a hundred guitar players. He loved and he collects guitars and has a hundred guitars. Like he plays because he loves guitar, not because he's a great player, you know? And he is a great player. And, you know, again, kind of like we'd mentioned with Eddie Van Halen, some of the others, he can sit in with others and you can hear him and you go, yep, that slash. Um, I don't have him in my top five um, or kind of even close to that because I think it sounds a little one dimensional for what he does. I think like when it's slash, it's slash, but he's not necessarily creating new genres, but I love the dude. I just love him. I love Guns N' Roses. So I actually he- love, I love his stuff post Guns N' Roses. Yeah, Velvet Revolver was the shit. Oh, him and Miles Kennedy together are great, dude. Don't get me started um, on Miles Kennedy. I love that dude. So good. Um, and then my last one um, was truthfully would have been top five had he lived. Was Randy Rhodes? Like, unfortunately, he's only got you know kind of a couple albums under his belt, and so we don't really know what he would have ended up as, but. You know, kind of similar to, you know, what we said with Hendrix, like the little work you got out of him was so different than what everybody else was doing at the time. You're like, oh, man, this guy's going to be one of the greats. And then, you know, tragically lost him. So just really too bad. And the only other thing I had, Scott, that we didn't, you know, I'm not sure we have time to talk about, but I would encourage others to do it. I think the newest genre or the best guitar players to find now are on Instagram truthfully and youtube like yeah. some of the greatest guitar players will never play arenas like um this guy follows me actually and i'm so geeked out by it but he's on this show called anderton's tv which is a music shop in england and they have a youtube channel and they've got a lot of followers by the way getting close to a million i think his name's danish pete and dude this dude is one of the greatest guitar players i've ever heard can pl- literally play anything every time i hear him play i'm just like Jesus, like if I could do that, I would literally quit the bank job tomorrow and go on tour. Like that's how good he is, you know? And so I, you know, I would encourage people like get into, if you want to learn guitar or you want to see great guitar players, you can listen to this list and go listen to the Spotify playlist you're going to put out. But there's so much great new music going on the Instagram and YouTube right now. Um, it's just, it's mind numbing. You know, it's, it's so much fun. Yeah, I know. When I would go on TikTok back in the day or Instagram now reels or YouTube reels, 
if I find musicians that I love, I deep dive. And it can be people from our generation, people from today's generation. Like I dove, I dove down Stuart Copeland's TikTok page to the very end, the one night. Um, or I find a guitar player that is just blowing me away and I'll go watch every video that they put out. That's just, that's my relaxation time. Cause I love finding new music. Um, I love CrossFit and, um, that's kind of like my day gig. Um, when I'm just relaxing, it's about music, playing a record. Um, and I love going back, listening to records. Um, I've said it on the show before. Spotify has made it so you don't hear those other tracks anymore. Right. And some of those tracks are amazing. And you know, so that's what I listen to when I'm working. What's interesting to me about music, um, similar to CrossFit, is that it's the, it's the one thing that it crosses all boundaries, race, religion, politics, you know, like all those things that we all fight about. You know, like if we were, if you and I were sitting there talking about politics, we'd probably argue about a dozen things, right? We're not going to argue about music. We just love music. It's great. Yeah. You know, and we can debate it over who's the best, but we're not going to hate each other for it. We love it. And CrossFit's kind of the same way. We all hate the assault bike, you know, but we're not going to hate each other because you may like it and I don't. We're just going to make fun of each other for it. And that's why I love music so much because it's it's the one thing that, you know, or one thing in my life that I think brings everybody together and that you can all enjoy. And if you have an open mind, you know, enough of an open mind, you can really listen to all genres and find something that you like in that genre, whether it's, you know, bluegrass, country, western, pop, rock, rap, whatever, you know. Uh, it's just, it's a real, I don't know. It stirs the soul. It's the best way I can put yeah. it. It just brings us together. One person we didn't, we didn't mention that I just did a deep dive on was Roy Clark. Oh yes. That dude could play. That, that guy could play anything. And if you think like Eddie Van Halen can play fast, Roy Clark dusts him. Yep. Um, and if you don't mind watching some black and white footage, um, you can go back through YouTube and see some of the most incredible guitar playing ever. Um, and I did have him on my list briefly. I don't know where he went, but, um, cause I did do a deep dive on him because growing up in Western Pennsylvania, we had one channel and Hee Haw was on every week. Oh, I watched Hee Haw every week. I grew up in Mississippi. <laughs> yeah. Roy Clark so, and Buck Owens for sure. Yeah. Yeah, all those, you well, know, that, like those early country guys were all great. You'd have him, Chet Atkins, uh, you know, Les Paul, who's, you know, the guitars, you know, branded after back here, kind of the same thing. Like, you know, you think of all these guitar gods, none of them would have happened had it not been for these guys blazing that trail first, you know. Yeah, so we're going to put together a Spotify playlist. Um, John, if you have anything you want specifically on that list, send it to me. Yep. I'll, I'll get it out there. We'll put it in the description of this um, episode on both audio and video. And then please go to YouTube and watch Prince play while my guitar gently weeps. You have got to see that performance. Hey, just, it just is just an aside, the most amazing thing ever. Because it has something to do with music. Uh, and because I just read that the games were going to stay in Madison uh, for another year, Ben and I were talking and Nikki, we're talking about throwing a party in Madison. We used, we run out of bar last year. I think I might do a set there. 
I'm pretty sure I'm going to bring a guitar with me to Madison and do a show on there. So everyone's invited. Everyone watch Clydesdale can come to the party. It'll be great. It'll be big fun. Awesome. So bring your guitar. Hopefully we'll jam. have my sinus surgery then, and I can sing along. There you go. Perfect. We'll do a little sing along. It'll be fun. There we go. That's do fun. some prints. Yep. See how talented you are. <laughs> fun, man. I haven't been on your show. When, when was I on your show last? It was a long time ago. You had me on with that uh, Daddy Wad guy. It just started his meme page. Like, uh, it, I swear to God, it's like four years ago or three years ago. It's a long time ago. So that's when we, you were like episode 15. Yeah, I'm an OG for the Clydesdale. Yeah, we're we're like at 600 or something now. Yeah, 700. For those, yeah, for those listening, like I had been followed by I don't even, I don't know the guy's name in real life, but he had a meme page called the Daddy Wad, and he'd kind of taken off. He got like 10 or 20 thousand followers like real quick, and his memes were pretty good, you know. And you reached out. You I think you guys were at the same gym or something. Yep. And uh, you're like, hey, we want to do a show about memes. Can you guys come on together? And I'm like, all right, I don't know this guy, but sure, why not? It was fun. It was, you know, and then it was like a brand new show for you. And the next thing I know, you're like talking to Frazier and Thor's daughter and everybody under the planet, like killing the media game. I'm like, all right, well, yeah, just just welcome. trying to keep up with you, John. <laughs> I don't know about that. You're killing it, dude. You're absolutely killing um, it. Yeah, but we actually had you on again uh, live from the Masters Fitness Collective. Oh, oh, that's right. We did that, didn't we? I'd forgotten about that. I was around all those old people. It's, my brain gets addled when I'm around all the old people. That's right. That yeah, was a we short, had a great though, conversation. Like there. a short interview, like a 10-minute interview or something. I can't remember. Yeah, 10 or 15 minutes, but it was live yeah. at the Masters Fitness Collective. Yeah. You were hanging out for the weekend. Uh, we had a great conversation. Are you going back to that? Are you going to go back to the Masters event? Uh gosh, probably. I was just talking to them about that. They, my coaches are trying to talk me into actually trying to qualify. I'm like, mm, no, like the gauntlet was hard <laughs> enough for me. I got no desire to actually go out there and embarrass myself for real in front of people. Like, but I could be talked into going. And the reason why you should go, Scott, and I should go too, is Sweetwater is in Fort Wayne, Indiana, which is the largest guitar store on the planet. And you and I could take a day and swing over and play guitars all afternoon. It'd be fun. Yeah, my daughter actually tried to get an internship there. Oh, dude, um, get her in. So you may actually get to meet her. Um, she's a photography major. She tried to get an internship as their photographer to, to photograph all the equipment for their catalogs and website. But um, she graduates in May from OU. And uh, I think I'm going to bring her to the semifinals to take pictures. Oh, sweet. That's very cool. I'm bringing my kids uh, to that too. Actually, that's gonna be a fun, fun weekend. I'm excited uh, for Simmies to be in, to be in uh, Orlando this year. Yeah, I th we're gonna go to both. We're gonna try to go to both. I'll say. <laughs> yeah, well, you're a hustler. I don't. Uh, I don't have that kind of time. I'm not flying out to California. No offense, uh, Wadzami, Nick, and anybody that lives in California. It's just like it's like back to back weeks and. I can't, I can't afford to do both. So Orlando's closer for me. I can, uh, I can handle Disney world, not Disneyland, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and the only reason I said that with MFC and my riffs have gotten me in trouble anyway, so I might as well just say it. Um, I was a judge there last year uh, because they were short staffed. Uh, it didn't go very well from a judging perspective. Were you, were you not know, did Hiller give you shit? You weren't no rapping or what was the deal? No, I was, I was fine. 
I've been an I'm an OG judge. Um, it was we were so short staffed. We were there from seven in the morning until nine at night. No Oof. breaks, no food. Um, I'm 53. You know how it is. Like, yeah, you just can't do those hours anymore. Yeah. No, thanks. I and, got nothing, and I, yeah, no. And I'm old enough now to say, I don't give a shit. I'm walking out of here. Right. <laughs> that is the difference between being 53 and 23. At 53, you're just like, screw you, buddy. I'm out of here. Like, you don't, you don't care right. anymore. 23, you might actually not have the courage to tell somebody to go screw themselves. But at 53, you're like, yeah, yeah. See you later. I'm out. You know? Yeah. Like I can't go that long without eating. Like it just people who fast all to all power to you. I'm trying to lose weight. That is not the way I'm trying to do it. Yeah. You're killing the, you're killing the game though. You look great. When I saw you a couple of weeks ago, how much weight have you lost? So I'm just over 30 pounds. Um, in the, since the games, if I get this sinus surgery done, um, right now I'm at 15 to 20% of my airway. If I get that back, I'll actually be able to increase my intensity of my workouts yeah, again. For sure. And that's what I'm looking forward to right now. That's great, dude. 30 pounds is a lot. I mean, that is a, that's dude, that's hard work. Congratulations. Like you're killing it. Yeah. We're, we're trying. And uh, we're going to keep on plugging away. And the best thing was at Wadapalooza, like I walked around all day and didn't feel any of the effects of that at the games. I was hurting uh, running back and forth. And that was really the goal of this is to get as fit as I could so that I could take this. I, I had the stamina to survive the weekend. Well, that's the hard thing, you know, particularly as we're walking around in CrossFit shoes, which suck anyway. Um, you know, it just is exhausting on your body and like an extra, you know, in this case, 30 pounds, but even an extra 10 pounds, you don't think, you don't think of what that does. But I think I read once that an extra five pounds of weight is like 40 pounds of pressure on your knees. You know? So you think of like what 30 pounds do does to you. Like, that's amazing. You know? So that's, that's great, man. Yeah. And not to mention, like, it's cheaper to buy clothes. Yeah. Like, I'm down two sizes, all that kind of stuff. That's just awesome. Well, but, yeah, what, I'm hoping to be down a, another chunk by the games. Shirts, man. Come on. Come on, Travis. Get on it, buddy. Travis is good to me. I can't, <laughs> He's can't good complain all over. there. Yeah, he gave me some great stuff at, uh, at Wadapalooza. I'm very excited about it. Yeah. Well, John, thanks so much for jumping on. Um, any big plans for the show coming up? Um, yeah, maybe. I was, I was watching your intro when we came in. I'm like, man, I got up my production game. We're actually hiring a producer uh, or bringing someone on that's going to help us increase our production value. So that's uh, that's good. We're going to try to take a little different tact with the podcast this year and just try to do more conversations that matter and less less games talk. Like I think there's a lot of uh, podcasts that do a really good job. Yours being one of them that does a really good job talking about the games and athletes and, and we're still going to have athletes on. Um, you know, I just like to talk to people more about what's going on in their everyday lives. You know, people that are in our community, keep that in mind. So CrossFitters and, you know, talk more to affiliate owners cause that's, you know, close to my heart and, and, you know, the, you know, the changes that are happening in people's lives than just, Hey, let's talk about the games going to Madison and some of the stuff we've done in the past. Um, so I think you'll see some of that coming down the pipe uh, from us. 
Um, and then bluntly, how like, has becoming how has becoming an affiliate owner changed your life? Um, a lot, actually. Um, and that's where some of the big changes are coming. Like we have a lot of stuff coming down from that. Um, you know, I'd say right now I'm probably in what I'm calling the consultative stage for that. Like, you know, we just had a team meeting actually with all the coaches and, and my lane is helping connect the gym to areas that can help us, you know? So like I got Jen, our founding uh, owner in front of, um, um, the CEO while we were in Wadapalooza and she had, you know, 15 or 20 minutes to chat with him about CrossFit and what's coming up and, and that sort of thing. And, you know, we're working with some PR people within CrossFit and some marketing people and, and, you know, kind of connecting them with the people that matter. And then, you know, but for me, the big thing is like, how can we help our local community? Um, so we're launching a second adaptive class, which is really important to me to get that done uh, and, and important to Jen and Tom. Um, you know, that's just, it's a really special group. And when you think of like the changes you make in people's lives long-term, you know, this is a group of athletes that, that their families thought they would never do anything athletic. And not only are you helping them become athletic and leave healthier, more productive lives, but their families are changing. Like I get really passionate about this, but I was talking to Jen the other day with this one athlete that comes in all the time and, and, um, she will come up to the coaches and go, what'd you have for dinner? You know, and she's a, a neuro athlete or what would be called an intellectual athlete and in, uh, in the game circle. And the coaches would tell her and she they're like, what did you have? And she'd go, I had Mac and cheese or I had uh, chicken fingers, you know, and it's really sweet. Now, when she comes in and they go, what did you have for dinner? She'll go, I had baked chicken and rice. I had baked salmon, you know, and you think about that, like what a lifestyle change for this person and for their family, her caregivers that are having to prepare these meals that are now also eating that. And dude, it's humbling. It's so humbling when you think about it. And, um, you know, so for, you know, for me, it's just, you know, how can I help build this gym out to help the Chagrin Falls community be a healthier, more productive community? And, and how can we give back more and do fundraising for local charities and, and change people's lives. And, you know, somewhere along the way, I'll make some memes and do some funny stuff and a few podcasts here and there. But um, yeah, it's, uh, I know I get kind of geeked out about this, but it's, uh, it's really life changing, man. I love it. I wouldn't change it for anything. And, you know, I'm just super grateful to the community that's allowed me to be a part of it and, and, and to CrossFit and everything that Greg created and everything we're all creating together. It's, uh, it's an exciting time. Yeah. Well, John, thank you so much. That's why I love this music show is that we're not really talking CrossFit and it's more relaxed and we kind of get to know each other on a different level than just the CrossFit thing. And so thank you for doing this. And there are so many different avenues we could go down with this. So uh, expect another DM at some point to jump on and we'll do another list. Yep. Anytime. Happy to do it. All right. Thanks, John. We'll talk to you later and everybody will see you next time on the Clydesdale Media Music.